um, about um, John the Baptist's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Uh, did I say parents? Um, parents. Yeah, that's, uh, that's how Gollum would say it. Parents. Um, John the Baptist's parents, um, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and uh, I, I encourage you. All of our sermons, uh, we have CDs at the Welcome Center, and we also, they're online at our website. They're also on any podcasting platform. Just search for Victory Fellowship Church, and uh, you'll find our Sunday morning sermons there. So, um, we're going to talk this morning about Simeon and Anna. It's actually the next chapter over from Luke 1 where we were last week. And uh, I, I, need to, I need to admit something to you this morning. I absolutely, positively hate waiting. I hate waiting. Like, whether it's waiting in line or you've placed your order and it's taking forever. I feel like the Lord's been playing with me just this week, knowing that I'm going to... Uh, uh, be sharing about the concept of waiting, uh, and we went to lunch yesterday uh, for Tiff's birthday with the kids, and and uh, like they've of course forgotten my uh, entree, and I'm sitting there starving while everyone else is eating, and Tiff's like, "Oh, baby, do you want me to go check on it?" I'm like, "No, they will come eventually." This is just the Lord messing with me because I'm talking about waiting tomorrow. Um, I, you know, for whatever reason, it drives me crazy. I like to play the game in the grocery store where you try to choose the line that's going to be the quickest. Every single time I choose the longest one, right? And there, there can be a line of three people and a line of one. I get behind the one, and all of a sudden, she wants to use a 1,000 coupons and write a check, right? And so it's like, oh, God, just swipe, sweetheart, swipe. Come on. We've got things to do. I almost lost my peace completely one time. When Eva was a little baby, uh, she broke her arm in two places. She she crawled out of her crib, um, and she thought that would be a good idea. Uh, slammed her arm on the side of her dresser, broke both the radius and ulna. And so we had a little bit less than a one-year-old in a cast. And so it's time to get the cast off. She drug her arm around. It was kind of funny looking. And... Uh, it was time to get, because she could, you know, barely even crawl, you know, um, and, or walk. And so she was, you know, like off, off kilter. And so, so I go to the doctor's office to get the cast removed. 15 minutes, all right, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, stuff happens. 45 minutes, I'm done. I've got a one-year-old in a cast in a waiting room, and it's been 45 minutes, all right? Uh, and it began to go, we ended up waiting uh, right at an hour. Um, but I went to the front of the place where the lady was, and I said, look, I know this isn't your fault, okay? But what's going on? I've got a one-year-old. You remember one-year-olds? Yeah. i got a one-year-old with a cast on her arm waiting to get it off. Like, I know stuff happens, but here's just, just an idea let me know. And she goes, oh, I'm so sorry the doctor got called into this. I'm like, that's cool. I understand that. What I don't understand is why I've been sitting here for an hour. Because what you could have easily said is, hey, the doctor got called into emergency surgery. He's going to be late. Why don't you take your daughter to go get some ice cream or something instead of wait in this little box for an hour? Anyway, 
We made it through. She got the cast off. I was not very mean at all to the lady, I think, probably. But waiting, waiting is one of the more difficult things for me. I mean, I read the gifts of the Spirit, and that third one, patience. Oh, I've, been, I've asked the Lord to give me patience, but he's taken too long. It's one of the hardest lessons that we as Christians can learn is waiting. How to stand strong during the uncertain time between a promise and its fulfillment. Because the word of God is filled with all sorts of promises, but we don't always see them, do we? Well, what do you do? Well, we're going to look at Simeon and Anna. So I encourage you, you can turn uh, to Luke chapter 2. We're going to read 21 through 40. Uh, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time in the text here um, because I want to share some points with you. I'm going to be reading in the New Living Translation uh, just because it's kind of a, a USA Today version. It's easy to understand. So starting at verse 21. This is after Jesus has been born. Eight days later, after he was born, when the baby Jesus was circumcised, he was given the name Jesus. They didn't name the child until after the child was circumcised. The name given by the angel before he was even conceived. Then it was time for the purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of the child. You can read about that in Leviticus 12, I believe, uh, verse 8. Uh, whenever a woman had had a baby, um, she was considered ritually unclean uh, for a time. And so then she would have to present a purification offering. Um, and, uh, and so that's what she was doing. So the parents took, them, took him uh, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child's a boy... She must dedicate that child to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. Now, just this is just some random trivia for you, but, but actually that's not what was required by the law. What was required by the law was a lamb uh, that be, be killed, but there was actually an exception for the poor in the, in the law, and uh, that was a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so that's what Mary and Joseph did, which lets us know, you know, they lived in Nazareth, a really, really small community, maybe 100 or 200 people, okay, not big at all. Um, that's why when Mary got pregnant uh, while being betrothed to, to Joseph, everyone was like, oh, did you hear? Everyone knew because it was such a small community. You think Thomasville's small, right? Nazareth was, was even worse. So uh, that was the exception clause for the poor. Um, verse 25, so they're in, they're in uh, the temple. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Now, just so you know, we've gone through, and we talked about this last week, we've gone through 400 years of silence from God at this point. Okay, God had spoken through his prophets. He had said uh, at the end of Malachi, it says, I'm going to bring a forerunner. He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons. He will come before the Messiah who have the spirit of Elijah on him. Okay, so just six months prior, um, you know, Elizabeth and Zechariah conceive and they find out that that's their son is the forerunner. Okay, first time God's spoken corporately in a long time. Okay, so what happens over 400 years of silence? Religion. We begin to get afraid, we begin to get scared, we begin to make up our own stuff. And God, are you happy with me? Look at me dance the Christian dance, right? 
And, and so this was happening in Israel as well. And this is when the sects of the Sadducees and the Pharisees uh, happened. Um, it, it, it sprung up during this time of silence. A lot of people were losing their faith. A lot of Israelites were struggling in their faith. Many of you know people who profess to be Christians, profess to be Catholic, profess to be Muslim, profess to be Jewish, whatever, but they don't actually do anything, right? They're nominal believers. They believe in name only, but not in practice. This was rampant right now in Israel. Why? Because God had not talked in 400 years. So all you had was a promise. But this guy, Simeon, was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and it revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. It's implied here that he was rather old. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. Ooh, that's an important. Man, be Spirit-led. This is what we're about to read. It would have totally been missed, right? If it hadn't been... I mean, the, the culmination of this guy's hopes and dreams would have been missed if he wasn't being led by the Spirit. So that day the Spirit led him to the temple, verse 27. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. And he took the child in his arms, praised God, and said, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you promised. I've seen your salvation, which you prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. So was Jesus the Messiah for Israel? Yes. Was Jesus the Messiah for everyone? Yes. The nations and for Israel. Verse 33. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Because how would they know? I mean, Nazareth knew the scuttlebutt about what happened with, with Mary and Joseph. But how would anyone in Jerusalem know, right? So they're like, wow, this guy, this guy's, this is the Messiah. So they were amazed at what was being said. And Simeon blessed them, the parents, and said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall. But he will also be... a joy to many others. He's been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. What was he, the Lord was already warning Mary, say, look, this is going to get rough. This is going to get rough. All right? He came to die, y'all. He was born to be a sacrifice once and for all. And so Simeon had the pleasure of delivering the word to of Mary. Look, this is, a, this is the Messiah, King of kings, Lord of lords. It's going to get rough. That was Simeon. He had been waiting a long time. And he finally got to see the Messiah not only hold God in the flesh in his very hands, but he had the opportunity to speak prophetically over the parents. Verse 36, we come to Anna. Anna, a prophet. Hey, ladies, you can prophesy. Anna was a prophet, right? Don't let anyone limit your ministry because of your, because of your gender. This is still Old Testament. Jesus had been born, but he hadn't died for everyone yet. We have female prophets in the Old Testament. How much more should we have female prophets in the New Testament? Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was, from, she was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Women usually got married around 13, 14, 15. Mary was probably 13, 14, 15 when she and Joseph were betrothed. But they, she'd been married um, only around seven years. So her husband passed away uh, when she was in her early 20s. And she lived as a widow to the age of 84. 
So for 60 plus years, probably, she lived as a widow, but what did she do? She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. There the child grew up healthy and strong and was filled with wisdom and God's favor was on him. So here we have two people, older people, that had been waiting for a very, very long time. They both had been promised, Simeon specifically had been promised, you won't die until you see the Messiah. And he was getting pretty old. And maybe life wasn't so good because as soon as he sees the Messiah, he goes, okay, you can take me now, Lord. (laughs) Maybe some of you feel like that as well. Okay, I saw the Messiah. Sweet. Let's go. (laughs) Um, Anna, uh, very old, had just given her life totally and completely to the Lord. She stayed at the temple all of the time. These two were well acquainted with waiting. These two were well acquainted with waiting, but we struggle with waiting, right? We struggle when God has given us a promise. And so I want to tell you really quickly two things not to do while you are waiting. Okay? Two things not to do while you are waiting. And the first one is to change your theology. Change your theology. See, this is what happens. Many times when people don't see the reality of what the scripture promises, they change their theology to line up with their experience instead of what the word says. And we come up with all these little cute phrases to to somehow dismiss the promise of God when we don't see it in the way we're expecting to see it. We say things like, well, you never know what the Lord's going to do. Right? heard that have you said that well that's just not true scripture is revealed what the lord is going to do the big picture and then the holy spirit will reveal what the lord is going to do in your particular area scripture says eyes not seen nor ears heard the things that the lord has prepared for us but it has been revealed to us by his spirit and so to say well you never know that's lazy theology you just need to spend time to know Right? You need to turn off the TV and open the book. I like TV. All right? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with TV. I'm just saying not at the expense of your spiritual life. Right? right? We say things like, well, you know, his ways are higher than our ways. Oh, I hate that one. Now, that one's actually scripture. Okay? That, one's, that one's actually found um, in, in Isaiah. But the problem with that is when we say his ways are higher than our ways, what are we saying? We're saying, well, we can't understand God. That's not at all what that scripture's saying. Isaiah 55, you can turn there. That's one of the most amazing chapters in all the Bible. He's explaining that although he has every right to decimate and wipe out the nation of Israel, he's going to show them grace and mercy instead. And he goes, yeah, my ways are higher than your ways. I am that good. But he's not saying I'm some big mystery you can't understand. No, you just got to use the right tools to understand him. Or this one, the Lord works in mysterious ways. (laughs) I mean, he does sometimes, right? I mean, I'm not saying you can figure out God. I don't want to worship a God I can know everything about. I can figure out. He's big. He's huge, right? He's amazing. But But to change your theology 
and ignore the promises of God in his word just because we don't see it in the way we're expecting is wrong. We can't change our theology. We have to hold on to what the word says. I've heard it said before, we sacrifice the truth of God on the altar of reasoning. When we just say, okay, you know, okay, God, I guess you, even though your word promises this, I guess it's not for me. I guess, it's, I guess you've changed your mind. Listen to this verse. It's James 1, 16 through 18. It says, don't be misled, dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down from us, from God the Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. In other words, if he's told you he's going to do something, he's not going to change his mind. He's going to do it. Okay? And, and if it's good, anything good that happens to you was from God. Every day you wake up and your life wasn't tragically forever altered was a gift from God. He saved you that day. And we have to adopt that mindset. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. You know that you're God's prized possession? Do you all have a prized possession? Maybe it's a car. Maybe it's a device, maybe it's something. I kind of like, my Jeep is kind of my prized possession. Like, I love that thing. It's fun. I mean, it's it's great. I mean, my wife too. But I'm saying the Jeep is cool. (laughs) Happy birthday. What do you do? You take care of your prized possessions, don't you? Well, you're his prized possession. Look, don't ever change your theology. Just because you don't see the promise of God happening right now, don't change your theology to excuse not seeing it. Continue to believe. Continue to believe. The other thing that we do when we're, when we're waiting, all right, that we don't need to do besides change our theology is we tend to get mad at God. Come on, right? I have. I have. Look, I've prayed for healing and gotten healed. I've prayed for healing and not gotten healed. And sometimes when you see God move as much as he does in this place, and he doesn't move, you begin to get a little entitled. You begin to stick your chest down like, oh, come on, God. I fast, I pray, I give. I'm a tither, Lord. I prayed the way your word says to pray. Why am I still struggling with this? Right? But here's the thing. The answer why will eventually come. But in the meantime, we have to protect our hearts. When we're going through that tension between the promise and the fulfillment, and we're waiting, don't get mad at God. Look, I just need to be honest with you guys. And, and, you know, this is coming on the heels of us watching eight people get healed in front of our eyes this morning. Okay? God is good. He's moving. But at the same time, there's a balance. There's, there's a two-sided coin all right, of truth. Acts chapter 14, 21 and 22. Paul and Barnabas return um, to Antioch after they've been preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples. Good things. God's moving, right? And it was always, always signs and wonders happened. 
Paul and Barnabas then returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, where they strengthened the believers, and they encouraged them to continue in the faith. Now, I would think what's coming next in Scripture would sound something like this. They strengthened the believers. They told them to continue in the faith because God is going to work everything out. But that's not what it says. So they strengthen the believers, they encourage them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. What? I don't like that. I don't like it. But God, in his mercy, has been honest with us and said, look, this life is not going to be perfect. If this life was perfect, what would we need heaven for? Now, we don't, we don't get down in the dirt and the mud and just get around, oh, life stinks. and blah, blah, blah. We don't do that, but come on, you got to at least be, you know, when something happens, right, you, you don't get mad at God. You say, hey, I need God. See, the, the problems that we experience here on earth shouldn't turn our hearts away from God. It should make us run to God. It's evidence that we need a savior. It's evidence that we need a relationship with him desperately. We have a deep need for a savior. And that's evidenced by the fact that there are problems. Does God heal? Absolutely. Does God want to bless you? Absolutely. Does God want good things for you? Of course. Are you always going to get everything you want? No. That promise is not in the scripture. John 16, says, in this world, you will have tribulation, trial, or trouble. It's just, guys, I'm sorry. But in order to not get mad at God, we have to not set ourselves up with a false expectation. Psalm 103, 1 through 2 says, bless the Lord of my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord on my soul and forget not all his benefits, who heals all your diseases, who forgives all your iniquities. And it just just goes from there. It's awesome. You should read Psalm 103. But I love how it starts out. It says, bless the Lord who? Oh, my soul. Me. In other words, you're going to have to tell yourself to bless the Lord even when you don't see it. You're going to have to make the choice to say, look, I, I, I haven't received the promise. I see the promise in Scripture. I haven't received it personally. Still, I'm going to bless the Lord. We can't get mad at God. Look, I've had things happen. We've been through all sorts of stuff. Miscarriages. Our oldest son almost died, was sucked into a drain. Amazingly, he lived. I would have preferred that didn't happen. There's, there's, uh, we've been through a lot. And, and, and I've learned, and I'm learning. I want it to sound like I've arrived. But I'm learning when things happen apart from what I know is in Scripture. I go to work praying, believing. I don't change my theology. And I don't get mad at God. I say, Lord, please protect my heart. I don't want my heart to stray. And for some of us, it can be little simple stuff. It doesn't have to be like, you didn't get the promotion. Why not, God? Well, maybe he's got a better deal for you. I had a situation like that when I was working in the corporate world. I, I told Tip, there was this perfect job opportunity for me. It was exactly what I wanted. It allowed me to travel a little bit. It would almost double my income. Uh, it would give me a more prestigious uh, title. And uh, I, I, 
I went in uh, after work uh, and, and talked with Tiff. I was like, hey, I'm going for this. Are you cool with this? She's like, go for it, baby. I'm like, yeah. All right, Lord, I just confess in Jesus. You know how we get religious all of a sudden. I just name this and I claim this. And I'm going to plead the blood, a hedge of protection. Okay, what other religious? Okay. Um, right? We get all religious because we want something. Lord, if you'll give me this. I promise I'll get up 30 minutes earlier every day and pray. Well, why don't you do that anyway, right? If it's worth doing. So I have this job opportunity. It, it was perfect, right? And man, they passed me over. They gave it to someone. I thought I was a shoe in it. A couple of people I work with are like, dude, you're getting that. Don't even worry about it. I didn't get it. And I was a little bummed. And in my head, I'm thinking, got something better for God's got something better for me. In my heart, I'm thinking, oh, man, God, come on. A year later, that job was eliminated from the company. And I don't know what I would have done then. Because I worked this job all the way up into becoming pastor here. It was a huge blessing, the job that I had before I came here. And it would have just totally derailed the plans of the Lord for my life, for VFC, for everything else. See, what I thought I wanted, see, I, there was a promise. God wants me to prosper. I believe that. You can't talk me out of that. But God wants me to prosper in the way that's going to best benefit me and him. And I don't know what best benefits me and him. I can't even figure out what best benefits me, much less him. So we can't get mad at God. So what do we do? What do we do when we're waiting? Well, what did... Simeon and Anna do. Where were they? In the temple. They're in the temple. What do you do in a temple? You pray and you worship. You worship. Isaiah 68 says something really, really interesting. It says, now just for context's sake, it's talking about, um, it's a promise. This is, Isaiah starts out bad, ends up good. Okay, around chapter 40 it changes. Isaiah, before 40 is kind of bad. God's getting on to him, okay? So read at your, at your own discretion. After 40, it gets really good, all right? And that's all, you know, no weapon formed against you will prosper after 40, after Isaiah 40, right? He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes, you were healed after Isaiah 40, right? I has not seen, wait, no, not I has not seen. The other one that I said earlier, uh, his ways are higher than our ways after Isaiah 40, okay? That's where all of our Isaiah quotes come from. Because it's good. And so he's talking about when we receive the promise of God, it says, you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Now, a wall is for your protection. A wall, right? A wall keeps you insulated and keeps you safe. And that's what our salvation does. Our salvation keeps us in the right spot, right relationship with God. But it says your gates will be praised. Now, what does a gate do? A gate is a point of entry. It, it's, it's, it's a gate is where there was previously no way to get in. There is now a way to get in. Our praise and worship is a gate. Praise is a gate. It's an entry point for the spiritual realm to invade the natural realm. That's why we worship so much here at VFC. That's why we pursue healing and the gifts of the Spirit and words and that kind of stuff during worship. Have you ever noticed that? We stop at the end of worship usually, and we've got this hang time, this flex time, 
where we say, okay, Jesus, what do you want to do? Holy Spirit, move. Why? Because we understand that praise is a gate. Praise is also a gate for negative things. If you allow something to become an idol and you are worshiping it, it will have influence over your heart. Praise is a gate. Now, here's something that's super cool. The end, towards the end of Revelation, second to last chapter, chapter 21, verse 21, he's talking about the great city, New Jerusalem. This is the culmination of all the things we're hoping for, we're believing for. All right? Uh, Satan has been cast down into the lake of fire. All those that have followed him are gone. All right, it's just us and Jesus receiving our eternal reward, and and we go to the city New Jerusalem, which New Jerusalem is massive. If you just look read about it in this chapter, it's like fourteen hundred square miles. All right, fourteen hundred miles in fourteen hundred miles, you can get to Wyoming from here. Okay, that's a big city. All right, all the saints are there, and he's describing the entry point. And he says. The 12 gates, these are the gates, the entry point. The 12 gates were made of pearls. Each gate from a single pearl. Pearls, I don't know if you know this, pearls are formed in an oyster. And pearls are formed through irritation and conflict. A piece of sand gets inside the oyster shell and a pearl forms around it. When we praise God without manipulation... In spite of our uncertainty, something beautiful forms and an entry point is created where God can move in our situation. This is what Simeon and Anna were doing, weren't they? They were worshiping the Lord. Now, worship, and we had a cool conversation with our kids yesterday about this. Worship's not music. It can be music. Worship is turned into a genre of music. Well, you've got your rap, you've got your rock, you've got your country, and you've got your worship. Okay. Not really. <laughs> Not really. Worship is a condition of the heart. All right? It's where your heart has been oriented, it's been redirected towards the Lord. And it's when you have an acute awareness of his presence. You've given him your full attention, your full affection, your total focus. That's worship. It can be singing with a song because that's very helpful to sing lyrics together to music. So, so the music aspect is super important of worship. But that's not all that worship is. You can worship God at your job without music. You can worship in your home as you serve your spouse, as you serve your children. You can worship in Walmart. Oh, that's for advanced worship. I wouldn't recommend that because that's, that's like, you know, the enemy territory. It's just a joke. It's just a joke. Lord, I thank you. <laughs> But your worship, guys, look, your greatest times of worship are not when everything's going right. Your greatest times of worship when God is the most pleased with your heart is when you're going through trial, when you haven't seen the fulfillment of the promise. Look, we're all going to, we're all waiting for something, right? Some of us are waiting on a spouse. Some of us are waiting on a spouse to act right. Some of us are waiting on our kids 
to come to the Lord. Some of us are waiting for a better job. Some of us are, are waiting for, for uh, that sense of fulfillment that we just keep missing out on. Some of us are waiting for, for all sorts of different things, healing in our bodies. Some of, we're waiting for all different types. Look, do, do not give up. Don't succumb to the temptation to change your theology or to get angry at God. Instead, become the best worshiper you know how. Amen? Amen. Let's stand.